the emptiness experiment. And this study or this series of messages is going to be based on a book in the Bible that confuses a lot of people, but actually has a lot to say to our particular generation. We're going to go to the book of Ecclesiastes. So turn in your Bibles or click on your smartphone app Bible uh, to Ecclesiastes. It's about midway through the Old Testament. So after Psalms, after Proverbs, you'll get to Ecclesiastes. And the title of this message is The Insanity of Life's Vanity. The Insanity of Life's Vanity. Now that does not sound like a very happy-go-lucky title, but it will make sense as we go through this message. So the first thing that we want to do is we want to open God's Word and give God's Word uh, respect. This is what we do at Waters Church every week. Would you stand with me as we read from the very first chapter of this book, Ecclesiastes this is Solomon, the son of David, writing to us 2,800 years ago from the throne room of his palace in ancient Israel. Here's what he says. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And he goes on, he says, a generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south, it goes to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run into the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, or the ear filled with hearing. What has been will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. And then he says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I have applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, a striving after the wind. This is God's word. Can we pray together? Father in heaven, I ask that these next few moments will be governed by the Holy Spirit. I pray that you will forgive me of my sins and help me to say what you want me to say. Lord, let all that is done in this next few moments bring glory to Jesus and shape our lives for what you have in mind. I pray for the person who is here today that does not know you or may have walked away from you. I pray that you'll speak tenderly to them, Lord. And for the person who feels like life isn't worth it anymore, for the person who might even be considering suicide, either watching this message, listening to this message, or sitting, standing here right now, I, I pray for the Holy Spirit's hand to hold them fast. And I ask God that, as we do every week, help us to see Jesus, him and him only. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. In the words of the great theologian Dave Chappelle, <laughs> good people, let us never forget that Anthony Bourdain killed himself. 
this man had the greatest job that show business ever produced. This man flew around the world and ate delicious meals with outstanding people. This man, with that job, hung himself in a luxury suite in Paris, France. End quote. We are living today in a time of unprecedented economic prosperity. Just about everybody who wants a job has a job. On top of that, technology has greatly improved both the longevity, the well-being, and the general ease of our lives. Never before have we had more opportunity and more products available to us for our enjoyment, wellness of life, pleasure, and general betterment. And yet, today, terms like mental illness, depression, and suicide are common terms spoken about on a regular basis. Maybe our generation is learning the hard way what Solomon has been trying to tell us through Ecclesiastes for 2,800 years. That maybe having it all isn't all that. Solomon is the son of David. David, you should know. David beat Goliath, then David became king. David took the kingdom of Israel from ignominy to worldwide fame. He elevated the status of Israel to the world's superpower of the day. He, de he defeated all of his enemies and literally ruled over the entire Middle East. And then he had a son named Solomon and gave the kingdom at its peak, at its pinnacle, handed him the kingdom and gave him all the resources he would ever need to rule and reign over the great superpower that was Israel in 800 B.C. And Solomon, you want to talk about a guy who was born on third base. This was him. Silver spoon in his mouth. And he just made it even better. And the Solomon story is interesting because Solomon gets the kingdom at a very young age and he is very famously known for God's blank check moment. That is, one day while Solomon was praying and, and worshiping the Lord, the Lord showed up and said to Solomon, ask whatever you want and I will give it to you. How many of you would love that moment with God? And he says something that really impresses the Lord. He says, Lord, I'm young and I'm in charge and this great nation of yours, who can govern it? Really, who can do it? I don't know what I'm doing, and so I ask you for wisdom. And God is so impressed with his request for wisdom that he says, because you have not asked for the death of your enemies and extraordinary fame and wealth, I will give you both what you asked for and what you didn't ask for. I will make you wiser than any person that has ever lived before, and I will bless you with wealth, fame, and fortune like no one has ever seen before. And Solomon got both. He lives the dream life. And his life is really summed up in three stages. We have three sections in this room, three sections of seats. So I'd like to kind of use you guys as illustrations of his three stages, his three life stages. The first stage was when, over here, his younger days. You know when you're young, young people over here, 
life is like an adventure. The doors are all wide open to you, at least in your mind. You're thinking about what you're going to become, what you're going to make of yourself, and then romance, and love, and finding the one. I mean, that was, that was Solomon's early days, and he writes a book in his early days. It's called Song of Solomon. He was so excited about being young and in love, he sang about it. And he wrote it down, and he calls it Song of Solomon. It is a very sensual and sexually suggestive book. It's like nothing that Hollywood can produce. They can't even top this to this day. It is extremely on the nose in the sensuality department. Now, don't go looking it up right now. For heaven's sakes, you're in church. <laughs> Stay with me. And then he goes into middle age, and he has children, and he suddenly realizes, i got to leave some wisdom behind. And he writes a book called Proverbs. And he's writing to his son, and he's telling his son, listen to my wisdom, listen to my advice. Don't chase the immoral women. Don't chase this. Don't chase that. you got to stay the course. you got to admit that you need to grow in wisdom. you got to acknowledge that you need education and all those things. And so he, he gives this advice to his child, and then someone collects it, calls it the book of Proverbs. And so young and in love, singing about his romance, middle age with children, let me write some things down that will last beyond me. And then he gets old. This section. The old people. Knocking on heaven's door over here. About to go the way of all the earth. And he looks back on his younger years and his midlife years and he thinks about it and he says, what is it all really about? And a man who had the opportunity to do everything he could want and buy anything he wanted or ever needed looks back on his life and he says, it's not that great. And he gives us the book of Ecclesiastes. Song of Solomon when he's young, Proverbs when he's middle-aged, Ecclesiastes when he's old. And he's trying to tell us before any of us end up in a luxury hotel suite in Paris, France, thinking that life isn't worth living, maybe you need to ask some important questions before you get there yourself. And what does he say? On the very first page, in the very first line, vanity. All is vanity. And the Hebrew word for vanity is the word hebel. H-A-B-E-L, transliterated into English, hebel. We also get the word vapor from this word in Hebrew, or breath, or wind. Wind, he says. It's all wind. Hebel. I almost called this series, what the hebel? And then he says, what does a man gain by all his toil, which he toils? Look at the last three words, everybody. Under the sun. Key term. Because what he's saying is looking at life horizontally. Taking God out of the equation. What does it mean? It doesn't mean much. So when we examine the book of Ecclesiastes, we have to understand that this man is trying to lead us somewhere by living in our world, walking in our footsteps, and living the dream life, and showing us that maybe these people who keep killing themselves who shouldn't be are onto something that you can get the whole world and still feel empty inside if you don't have God. So point number one, 2,800 years later is still as relevant as it is now. As it was then, it is now. Point number one is, without God, life is empty. It's Hebel. And 
you will understand this at some point. No, maybe not when you're young. Nope. Because you still think that if you get married, life will be wonderful. And you need to talk to these people. But these people are thinking, when we get these kids out of the house, life will be wonderful. And you need to talk to these people. Because they're like, I wish I could go back and be these people. <laughs> At some point, we have to realize that maybe our emptiness is deeper than just something else being added to our lives under the sun. And so he breaks out into a poem in the first page. And if you have a Bible like me, you will see that the first chapter is mostly put in stanzas. That's to indicate that this is a Hebrew poem. It is not just a text. And so he sings us a song. He writes us a lyric. In verse 4, he says, A generation comes and a generation goes. The earth remains forever. Point being, without God, life doesn't last. Without God, life doesn't last. Under the sun living. You will be forgotten. I know we want to make our imprint. I know we want to make a lasting impression. I know we want to make a difference in our world. But Solomon, learn from him. He says, without God, you're just waiting to be forgotten. The president of the United States of America today is Donald Trump. For now. See what happens in the next couple of days. But 200 years ago, in 1819, the President of the United States was exactly <laughs> the most important person in this country is forgotten just 200 years later. It was James Monroe, by the way. In first service, somebody said, Woodrow Wilson. <laughs> You're forgettable. How do you know it was James Monroe? Because I Googled it right before I preached this message. <laughs> I don't even know who it was. You, you think you're going to make it, but you're not. You ever go back to your college after you graduate? I went back to my college five years after I graduate. I was shocked and amazed at how well those people moved on without me. It's like I didn't even exist. They didn't even know me. I didn't know them. Nobody recognized me. I was a nobody. Life is like that. Life is like college. You come in as a freshman, nobody respects you, everybody's beating you up, telling you what to do. Then you become a sophomore, you become a punk, people still beat you up. Then you're a junior, you think you know everything, and you're running the place. Then you become a senior, and everybody's trying to move you out to pasture. Get out. Time for you to go. That's basically life. Life is like a four-year college term. It's over before you know it, and then you're forgotten. Number two, he goes... In verse 5, the sun rises, the wind circles all the earth, looks at nature. He says, look, it's just redundant. Without God, life is redundant. There's just an extreme repetitive reality to this world. Do you ever feel like this? You, the young people don't feel like this. But the middle-aged people and the old-aged people, they probably have these thoughts on a regular basis. It's like, again, you never, you never get like this? Like, you just figure out, my life is extremely predictable. My wife and I have the same routine every morning. She gets up first. She makes her coffee. She has her coffee piping hot. I get up after her. I make the bed. Gentlemen, <laughs> I make the bed. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Now, I don't do anything else. She does everything else. But I make the bed. And I go and I make my coffee and I go to the shower after I start making my coffee because I like to come back to a slightly cooled down coffee. She likes it piping hot. I like it hot. I like kind of hot. And I just thought the other day as I'm putting the throw pillows back on the bed, I'm like, this is getting predictable. <laughs> Life is redundant without God. It's just, you know, over and over and over again. I mean, here we are again. It is, we are on the threshold of pumpkin spice season. And every year we pretend like, wow, this is something new. We've been doing it every year for the last 500 years, for heaven's sakes. It's getting old. And then he goes on in verse 8 and he says, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied. The ear is not filled. Without God, life is unfulfilling. It doesn't matter what you get. It's never enough. It doesn't matter what you get. It's never enough. Without God. This is what he's saying. Um, Amazon just came out with brand new Alexa devices. They just announced it this week. Did you see? They're going to have an Alexa ring. You're going to have Alexa on your finger. Alexa, order me some deodorant. <laughs> going to have Alexa frames for your glasses. Alexa on your face. Some of you are watching at home right now and I'm totally messing with your Alexa. I'm sorry about this, but let me just, let me just do this. Alexa, remind me to go to church next week and not sit at home and watch it. And I saw them reveal these new products, these new products, and I, you know the first thing that went through my head as soon as I saw them? I want one. I do, I want one. But I know that as soon as I get it, it'll get old. And dusty, and it's just another thing that you got to keep, maintain, fix up, clean up, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, after a while, life just gets old. And then in verse 11, he says this. There's no, I'm sorry, uh, verse 9, sorry. What has been will be. There's nothing new under the sun. Life gets old. I just said that. But life gets old without God. You say, well, what, you just talked about these new Alexa devices. Those are new. Well, no, they're just new ways of doing old things. That's really all they are. Just new ways of doing the same thing. More convenient, sure. Fun, funner, maybe, yeah, sure. But it's just the same. And then in verse 11, he says, there is no remembrance of former things. There's no remembrance of things yet to come among those who will come after. In other words, without God, life is forgettable. It just gets forgotten. Like you will be forgotten. I will be forgotten. I remember a great preacher once said, never take yourself too seriously. When you die, everybody's going to go to the funeral site, and they will watch you go into the ground, and they will go back to the church fellowship hall, and they will all eat potato salad. <laughs> and that's the end of you. It's wind. This is point number two. Without God, life gets full of secondary things. So when there's this gaping emptiness, if we fill it not with God, we will fill it with almost anything else. This is what Solomon found out. This is what he found out for us. It is up to us to listen to him. So he said, I, ch I did life without God. I chased pleasure. Come now, he said. I said to my heart, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. 
And he went after all the pleasure he could get. He went after sex like crazy. The guy had 700 wives and 300 concubines. You know what you get when you have 700 wives? 700 mother-in-laws. Now, I love my mother-in-law, but one is enough. 300 concubines. So I did it all. I did the whole thing. I was the Hugh Hefner of my day. And I said, it's cable, it's vanity, it's emptiness, it's wind. So after chasing pleasure, because that's what the young people think, pleasure, fun, enjoy myself, go after it, get it, you can get it, and it gets old. Some of you are living for Friday night, Friday night, Friday night. Guess what? Eventually, Friday night gets old. Eventually, Saturday night gets old. Being hungover gets old. This stuff gets old. It's not something that lasts. That's what Solomon is saying to us 2,800 years ago. So he finally says, you know what? Maybe having fun isn't the thing. So what does he do? He chases wisdom. In verse 12, I turned. Some of you have made that turn. Ah, no more fun. Education. I'm going to better myself. I'm going to improve my skills. I'm going to make myself marketable so I can get the job. And this is where a lot of people find themselves in their 20s and 30s. And we're living in a context right now that has found that this also proves to be vanity. We're living in a context right now where young people went to college on the guarantee that was programmed into them from K to 12. If you get a college degree, you'll be somebody. And all they ended up being was extremely in debt. Wondering why nobody wants to hire them. We chase knowledge. We chase degrees. We chase education, thinking that that's where I will finally be full. And Solomon 2,800 years ago said, been there, done that. Now what? And so he turns from wisdom and he turns to work. Surely there's a benefit to work. Maybe that's what life is all about. And that's where some of you are. You chased pleasure. You chased wisdom and education. And now you're like, I'm just going to go after work. I'm going to put my hand to the plow. I'm going to make a name for myself in my career. I'm going to climb the ladder. I'm going to get the job. I'm going to get the company. I'm going to have a multi-business multi organization, a multinational organization. I'm going to be the pinnacle of my, my field. And that's exactly what Solomon did. And he says in verse 4, I made great works. I built vineyards for myself. And just seven verses later, he says, and I considered all that my hands had done, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Now, mind you, this is a man who chased everything we chase. Young people, he chased love, and he got it. And he said, Ugh. and middle-aged people, he chased education and work, and he got it, and he said, Ugh. And he got to the end of his life, and he said, someone down the road needs to learn from my experience. It's all vanity without God. So I thought, there's no way to really verbally tell you about this. I got to demonstrate it. And um, I just, you know, this is really what I, I thought about Solomon's life, because this is Solomon. And he, in many ways, represents all of us in that we will fill our lives 
one way or another. Our lives are going to get full of something. Here's the thing that we think very infantilely about with concerning fullness. We fill our lives mostly thinking it's all about fun, pleasure. And so we'll spend our lives going after what feels good. I like it. It makes me happy. There's nothing wrong with me being happy. And you fill yourself with sand because it doesn't last and you got to keep filling. <laughs> and if there's one thing, if there's one thing that we Americans should know by now is this. We stink at knowing what makes us happy. We stink at it. We think, we, we think something's going to make us happy so we go get it and it doesn't make us happy. We chase pleasure and it doesn't make us happy. You know, they did a, a scientific study in 1978. University of Massachusetts did a survey on lottery winners and accident victims. A longitudinal study on the happiness levels of those two people. And they found out that lottery winners were minutely happier than people who had been in a car accident and lost their ability to walk. Just minutely happier. A Florida study was done. A Florida study was done where they found out that lottery winners were twice as likely to go bankrupt than the general population. But I need money. But I need money. Surely that's going to make me happy. If, if there was anything that proves that we stink at knowing what makes us happy, it has to be the marketing campaign for Oscar Mayer Wiener in 1965. I wish... I was an Oscar Mayer wiener. That is what I really want to be. Because if I was an Oscar Mayer wiener, <laughs> everyone would be in love with me. The guy that wrote that song, what was he smoking? Then you're going to look at a hot dog and say, now that's living right there. <laughs> that didn't work. Maybe hamburgers, steak, filet mignon. Pleasure, 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 pleasure. And, and you know what? We just, we just throw caution to the wind because we're just sure of it. We're just sure of it. That if we just try something else... I deserve to be happy. It's all about happiness. I want to feel good about me. And we fill ourselves up with these things. And sometimes, you know, sometimes we'll sacrifice a little pleasure to throw in a couple of things like children <laughs> and hobbies, family, but give me some more fun. And you know what? Let's be honest. We are Americans. We are Americans. Whatever the world does, we can do better. And so, we don't go for pleasure in America, we go for even more pleasure. Just filling ourselves. You know what? We used to have 13 channels and a rotary dial on the television set. How many remember those days? 13 channels, yeah. Now we have unlimited entertainment options. We can watch the whole season, not just the whole season, the whole stinking series from beginning to end in a weekend. Netflix and chill, baby. That's what it's about. Binge watch. More, 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 more. 
I already watched Friends from beginning to end. What to do? Let's do it again, surely. I will have happiness if Ross and Rachel can only get together and work it out. This is, this is Solomon. This is Solomon. This is some of you. And this is the conclusion of his life under the sun. Verse 17. I hated life. I hated life. I was on my way to the hotel in Paris. And I hated it. It's just, what is it? It's nothing without God. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, because this is what you were thinking probably when you walked in the door. This is where you tell me, Pastor, that anything that I enjoy is wrong. So you're telling me just to be happy about being religious and coming to church. God doesn't really want me to enjoy myself. This is what you're thinking right now. This is where you tell me that being a Christian is like this. It's just being a monk, <laughs> praying all day, reading my Bible, and coming to your church. Maybe I can have some kids, family, job, because you want my tithes and offerings. Yes, we do, and we will chase them down if we have to. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Oh, yeah. We're going to get that money out of you somehow. None of this. Oh, no, no, no. That's sin. No, that's not what I'm telling you. And that's not what Solomon's telling you. Because he says in the same book, in verse 24 of chapter 2, look with me. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find, what's the word? Enjoyment in his toil work. Look at this. This is from the hand of God. Oh, wait a second, Solomon. Are you bipolar? Because you just got done telling me that work and all this stuff was not fulfilling. Wait a second. You're not reading the book right. He takes us through life without God, and then he turns on us and says that if you know God, something clicks. Look at the very next phrase, following his line of thought in verse 24, the very next phrase, verse 25. Underline it in your notes, please. For apart from him, who can have, who can eat, or who can find enjoyment? You know, what Solomon is saying is not that these things are wrong and bad. It's just he's saying you got to put them in perspective. you got to put them in the right place. Because here's what we got to do. Point number three is we got to put the big rock in first. Hint, the rock is Jesus. <laughs> he's the rock of our salvation. Jesus is the rock, and he... Rolled my sorrows away. <laughs> and what you got to do is you got to put Jesus, this is what he's saying, apart from him. So you know what? All other religions are, we got to get to him. Here's the Christian religion. He came down to us. 
You put them in. Guess what, guess what that does? It gives your life some girth. Look at that. Look, it gives your life some girth, some, some standing. What did Jesus say? The man who builds his house on the sand. And this is what God is saying through Solomon 2,800 years later is, first God. And what happens when you have God first, point number four? When God is first, when the big rock is in place, secondary things find their space. Now, you can put that job in there. There's nothing wrong with a job. There's nothing wrong with family. There's nothing wrong with romance. But listen to me, young people, romance, God first. God first, then romance. Because if you put romance first and then try to fit God in, it's going to make a mess. Why not rather go into the romantic ventures of your life with a standard instead of judging God by the romance you've already tried to chase? There's nothing wrong with that, but put it in place. How about vacations? Yeah! Have you ever heard of the Sabbath? The feast days of Israel? God is pro-vacation. <laughs> Social media? Why not? A little bit. A little bit. Exercise? Absolutely, you only get one body. Interests, that's great too. Success, success is from God, man. That's wonderful. It's a good thing to succeed. Friends, absolutely. Children, temporarily. <laughs> Shopping. And then guess what else? Fun. Pleasure. I enjoy my life. I love my life. I have a lot of fun. And Jesus is the rock of my life. You understand, friends, that this is what you've got to get down into your spirit. This is what you've got to get down into your spirit. It's the truth that I want you to write down. Life with God is the beginning of wisdom, work, and success. And yes, even pleasure. Not the end of them. Get them in first. Put them in place. And then God can add to you. Blessings. The Bible says the blessing of the Lord brings wealth, and he adds no sorrow to it. Some of you are miserable because you're chasing wealth instead of chasing God. And God's like, I'll give you that wealth, but first, let me be the rock. Let me be the foundation. Let me fill your life with good things. You see, James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He's the source of wisdom, James 1.5. And Joshua 1.8, the Lord says to Joshua, I am your success. If you listen to me and you put my words in you and you don't depart from them, but you listen to them and follow them, you will have, what's the next two words, the last two words of that phrase? What is it? Good success. In other words, there's something called bad success. God is the author of good success. But you've got to put him first. And pleasure. Pleasure? Yeah. You get pleasure from God. God can give you pleasure. He's the source of pleasure. He says in Psalm 16, verse 11, you make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. God is not boring. God is not the killjoy in the air. He loves you to enjoy your life. And what Solomon said 2,800 years ago is something that his great ancestor, Jesus Christ, would come on the scene and say in different words, but the same lesson. In Matthew chapter 6, what does he say? Don't worry about these things. 
Don't worry about these things. What things? What shall you eat? What shall you drink? What you wear? Because these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. These things dominate the thoughts of people disconnected from God. And there's some of you. Because your life is obsessed. Your life is obsessed with what can I get, do, fix. Or your life is obsessed with what might happen, what might happen, what might work, what might break, what might fall to pieces. Will I ever get married? Will I ever have enough? Dominated thoughts in your mind, stirring you up like crazy, keeping you up at night. And here's what you need to understand is that is life under the sun, S-U-N. And what God is saying is, Get to know who's over the sun and everything under the sun will find its true light in your life. This is what God is saying. Come to me and empty me. Empty yourself out and come to me as you are. Give me your life and let me be the foundation on which you build everything else. And it's all going to come together. It's all going to come together. What's over the sun? Jesus came to tell us, your father. So my son Jake is seven years old. And uh, last year we got our sons signed up for soccer because we don't want them playing video games all day. <laughs> and uh, my son Jake, you know, he loved soccer at first. And he had a great time scoring goals and kicking it around and picking them up. He'd be happy. So he's so happy about soccer. We signed him up for winter soccer. And uh, winter soccer is like three times the price of regular soccer. <laughs> And the games were on Sunday morning at 7 a.m. So last winter, I was taking my kid, Jake, to soccer at 7 a.m., coming to preach to you at 9.30 a.m. and then 11.30 a.m. And then, so what I would do is I would spend time on my iPad just going over my notes for the message because I want to be faithful to the call and be ready for the weekend. And I was driving him home from soccer one day on winter soccer season last winter, and out of the back seat, he says, Dad, I hate soccer. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean you hate soccer? You love soccer. I hate it. I don't want to play anymore. I said, well, you're going to play because you're not going to be on an iPad all day. And uh, he said, I don't want to play. I hate soccer. It's boring. I said, what are you talking about? You love soccer. And so I drove him to the next game, and I said, listen to me very carefully. You are going to love soccer or else. <laughs> and here's the deal. I am going to watch you play, and if you don't enjoy it, you're in trouble. And so I watched him play that morning. And I watched, and as, he, as I watched, he played, and he had fun, and he enjoyed it, and he tried hard, and he kicked great, and he did the whole thing, and he came back to the car, and he was happy and full of joy and full of life again. And I said, Jake, what are you talking about? You love soccer. And you know what he said to me? This seven-year-old little kid, he taught me the gospel. He said, I only like it when you're watching me. When your eyes are on me, Dad, it's fun. That's the gospel. You know why so many people are empty? Because they're trying to l l fill their world with everything but the one who loves them unconditionally. And you know the scriptures doesn't actually call us Christians very often, friends. It doesn't actually call us Christians hardly at all. You know what it often calls us? It calls us in Christ. Who are we? We are people in Christ. Romans 8 Romans 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. How about 2 Corinthians 5, 21? 
If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All the old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. In Christ, in Christ. You know why that phrase is so important? Because here's what it means to be a Christian. It means that you come in to the acceptance and the approval and the pleasure of the Father. That you are clothed in Christ. And what does God say to Christ as he comes out of the waters of baptism? What, is, what happens? The voice from heaven looks down on his son coming out of the waters and says in front of everybody, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And if you're in Christ, he says that to you. This is my child with whom I am well pleased. And you know what happens when God is pleased with you? Life is full. And life is fun, but he comes first. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I've come to give you life that you might have it abundantly. Now, we all know that verse, but the next verse unpacks how we get the abundant life through Jesus. We get the abundant life through Jesus because in the very next verse, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In other words, we get the abundance of Jesus' life because Jesus laid down his life for us. And the question is, will you receive that? Because if you do, the emptiness is gone. I know of which I speak. And many people here do as well. And it can be true for you.